stand and welcome Pastor Timothy as he brings the word for today. Welcome to church, everybody. Um, yeah, I just want to second what um, what Abby said really quickly, just about momentum. You know, really, every time we gather together, it creates momentum. And when we go there and we, we're going to be encouraging now, or just our presence there will be, just your presence can create momentum. Like just your bringing your faith, bringing your prayer, bringing your expectation creates momentum. So I encourage you, come down. If you've never been to the Nara campus before, double encourage you to come down because it, it lets you know a part of what we are here. Um, it's a part of our culture. It's our mother church down there. So, all right. It's enough said about that. Let's, um, let's just prepare our hearts for the word today. Just close your eyes where you are. I'll pray for us. Lord, I just thank you for this time that we get with each other, Father. Thank you for this family and this church, Lord. I just, I just pray, Lord, that um, have your way with us today, Lord. Thank you for your worship. Thank you for you teaching us together, Father. Here we are, Lord. We're here for you, Father. Speak to us, we pray. Amen. All right, grab a seat. interesting. I noticed as well, I'm not going to make a big thing out of it, but the you fell out of truth. And it's like, the thing you don't want falling out of truth is the you. <laughs> Any other letter I can tolerate, but not you. So there we go. You can't preach without the truth, right? <laughs> All right. All right. I'm going to get, that's as much banter. I'm going to get straight into it. I want to tell you um, about a little struggle that's happened in my family over the last couple of years. Um, yeah, I, don't, I haven't written it down, so I don't really know how to go about it. But um, I can tell you that over the last couple of years um, that Enoch has had some trouble at night in his sleep. I've told you individually, I'm sure, but I've never kind of collectively shared this with the church. Um, there would be times in the night when um, when we'd wake up to the sound of Enoch kind of like in distress, like almost screaming really. Um, not quite a scream, but something like it. And we would go in, you know, as you would. we rush into the room and Enoch would be there, but he wouldn't be there, if you know what I mean. Um, and... Um, he would be like kind of thrashing around and um, and then we would, you know, we're Christians, so we would be there with him. We would be praying with him, laying hands on him. We would be com trying to comfort him, trying to bring back Enoch really because he wasn't, I can tell you, like you can, I know my child, you can tell when he's there and when he's not there. Um, but as we're praying for him, his body is in physical pain. You can see he's crunching his stomach. He's spitting. I felt scared that he was going to try and bite. Um, and, you know, I think, like, this has taught me a lot of stuff, this experience, you know. it. Um, I shared it with people. People have been praying for, for us for this thing. I shared it with a lot of people. But, um, you know... Demons are real. And, um, you know, men in the Garden of Eden, we fell to the influence of a demon. And it's still demonic influence and attacks are still trying to enter into our homes and into our person. And they don't care. You know, maybe you think you're all right, but they don't care about your age. They don't care about whether you're awake or asleep. They don't care about any of that stuff. They will attack where they can, when they can. And this is, this is my testimony. This is evidence that this stuff is real. Um, you know, and it really saddens me. Even now, like at night, when I walk through my house and I'm praying over everybody, when I look at his door, there's still that slight feeling in my heart, like what's going to be behind that door? You know, what am I going to encounter when I open that door? And I'm, I'm not fearful of that demon. I know all authority Praise God, it's, it's been gone, 
it's been gone and I'm believing that the Holy Spirit has come into Enoch's life. But you know, our kids aren't born, you know, our kids are born dead. Our kids are born in sin. Our kids are born dead. Bringing the Holy Spirit in, not just to our kids, but to all peoples, is the work of the church. And there's no defense apart from God's defense. As we're going to be speaking more about this stuff, I just wanted to give you, this is a reality and this can happen. This can happen to anyone or to any of our children. Another thing that's been happening over the last couple of years is that Shri and I have been getting this kind of recurring dream where we're being attacked by the demonic and where our mouth is being bound shut so that we can't say the name of Jesus in the dream. It's terrible. You know how like, as a believer, you know that saying the name of Jesus is like your big move, right? It's like, that's like the bringing a nuclear weapon to a knife fight. Like, and, but in the dream, but in a dream, I don't know why, but for some reason it's this, I believe that what God's doing is creating an awareness of the curses that are over this church, over this area. You know that the devil doesn't want you to say the name of Jesus? I mean, that's a pretty obvious takeaway from that dream, right? But we who are the church, when it comes to this demonic thing, we don't shrink back when the enemy attacks, right? We rise to meet it. That makes me want to, I wake up and I'm wanting to scream the name of Jesus when I wake up. Because I, and I want to preach the name of Jesus and speak it all the more boldly because I don't want the devil to have his way. I don't want the people that are pray, praying against the church, people that are cursing the church to have their way. We need to be so proactive as a church, covering each other in prayer, don't we? This is our, this is our community of believers. We fight shoulder to shoulder. I want to talk today about another story, a very iconic story of when Jesus dealt with a demon-possessed man. Um, I'll unpack a little bit about what these things mean as we go. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, turn to Mark chapter 5. We're just going to be going through it, reading it together, unpacking it as we go. It says this, They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. Close. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. I like to pretend when I'm reading the Bible or hearing a story like I've never read it before. That's what I try and do. So I get a fresh take on the story, right? Pretend like you've never seen it or heard it before and you really examine the words. What's happening here? So Jesus is rocking up in the, in the boat. A man comes running up with an impure spirit. Likely the disciples wouldn't have known that there was an impure spirit, but Jesus knew. So who was this man and how did he know that Jesus was coming? You know, we're remembering as well in this context, there's no telephones, there's no internet. To find Jesus, how would you know? This man knew the precise time, the precise place. Who was he? How did he know? We're told this man had an impure spirit. That's another way of saying that he was demon-possessed. A demon is, of course, just some background work here. A demon is, of course, a fallen angel that sided with Lucifer, also known as Satan, in an attempt to overthrow God. Demonic possession is when a demon spirit resides inside a human body, and at times the demon will reveal its own personality through the host. In the Garden of Eden, we saw Satan possess a snake, right? Suffice to say, the demons can possess animals, can possess men. Unless, of course, we're already filled with the Holy Spirit, which, of course, is the function of why man was made in the first place to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not with other spirits, with the Holy Spirit. Even if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, even if you're a believer, 
I believe a demon can latch onto and oppress you, can oppress a believer. Demons, uh, when I talk to the Holy Spirit about this stuff, I really feel like the image for me of a demon is like a parasite. wants to latch onto you or get into you, survive off you, drain you, suffocate you. They drain and torture their host. They frustrate any intention to return to godliness. And I read this really interesting thing as well that talked about, you know, one of the reasons they love to possess men so much is because we were made in the image of God. And so it's a way of hurting God. Them hurting you is their way of trying to hurt God by warping his image. We were never meant to look like that. Anyway, back to the account in question. No sooner had Jesus' boat breached the beach than he is thwarted by the enemy. Consider the audacity of a demon to even approach Christ at all. What audacity. Demons can step foot in heaven as seen in Job. They can step foot in the church as seen in Revelations chapter 2. They can step foot in your homes, in your televisions, in your thoughts, in your emotion, in your dreams. But it is the believer's commission to cast them out, to create an atmosphere and an environment that is not demon-friendly. There you go. We can put that on our brochure. Not (laughs) demon-friendly. A friendly church, not demon-friendly terms and conditions. Demons are watching, communicating, and strategizing to frustrate the gospel. When Christ's ministry first commenced, who was the first person to meet Jesus? Out in a desert of all places to tempt him, to thwart and frustrate the gospel. In Mark 4, the preceding chapter of what we just read, Jesus rocks up to the shore, the man with the demon comes up to him. In Mark 4, the preceding chapter, a violent storm rises up to prevent Jesus from reaching this place. I'm sure you've all heard the account of Jesus calming the storm. I believe that demons are a powerful force. I believe that that storm was a spiritual prevention strategy to stop Jesus from getting there. And if you don't believe that, consider the way that Jesus responds to the storm. He, he speaks to the storm as though it's a sentient force. He rebukes it. Why would Jesus rebuke the rain? Why would Jesus rebuke the sun? Why would Jesus rebuke the natural universe? Because he's not speaking to the natural universe. He's speaking to the Spirit. Let me share something from my own personal testimony Well, not mine, a close friend. I heard a testimony from a close friend that they conducted um, an impromptu exorcism. They were a Christian attending a church that had never been exposed to any of that, but it became apparent that there was a demon in one of their friends. And so they did what a good Christian would do, and they said, they dropped everything and they said, we're going to get this thing out. And then for hours and hours, they prayed, they worked they cast out. And in that same moment that that demon was being cast out, a hurricane rose up on the shoreline of Minamara and it went down the coast and it devastated Kayama and the Shellhaven forest. True story. Homes were destroyed. And I can tell you that was linked with the exact moment that they were casting out a demon or a series of demons. Bet you I never told you that story before. <laughs> Jesus rebuked the storm. Jesus advanced to this shore. This is no holiday cruise. Jesus is no tourist. He's come here for a reason. And his arrival at this place was an act of warfare. The enemy seeks to frustrate God's plans. However, that frustration is an opportunity to grow the kingdom of God. I want you to remember that because without that, oh, it'd be full of despair. What the enemy intends for bad, God will turn to good. Will. Remember last week's sermon, Saul was traveling to Damascus with every intention of destroying the church. But instead he saw the light. 
He was delivered from a spirit of blindness, resurrected as a believer, boldly broadcasting to the world. A missionary of all missionaries was Paul. All right, next, let's go, let's move forward with the story. Mark 5, 3. This man lived in the tombs. That's not a fancy new name for a real estate. (laughs) The tombs. Literal tombs. This man lived in the tombs. How can you live in a tomb? Lived in the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, and but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Living in a graveyard. Yikes. Rock bottom. It's like this thing's straight up from a horror movie. This man was strong and free in his flesh, but he was weak and bound in his spirit. To the point of forfeiting all control. <laughs> You know, I spoke about oppression on the believer. This is something different, what's happened in this man. Oppression in the believer is a warning about what can happen in this, what can happen. This man had forfeited all control. Such was the subjugation and ongoing possession of this man that even his home reflected an environment that's fit for a demon, not fit for a a human. In our homes, we try to create safe spaces, healthy spaces. This man... The force that was in him was creating an environment that it would thrive in, not the man. And I want you to see within that a theology, right? That the demonic would like to attack your home environment. It wants to turn your home environment into a graveyard. That it will create an atmosphere in which it will thrive at your expense. Note two, I want you to note in that Mark 5, 3, it's still up, great. I want you to note too the complete inadequacy of the community whose strategy for dealing with this demon-possessed man was to bind him up further, to hurt him, and to isolate him, to reject a man who'd already been tortured and suffering, Right? The actions of this community did not actually oppose the demon. They collaborated with the demon. The demon isn't your friend. It wants to see you bound. wants to see you hurt. It wants to see you broken. These people were like, oh, we'll make our family safe. We'll make our community safe by rejecting that person, by hurting that person, by holding them down, by putting them in prison. This is a worldly thinking of what is going to work. But in reality, all they were doing is using the exact same methods that the demon wanted them to. The demons had not only broken this man, but the resistance of the community to the demonic. You see that? They'd not only broken this man, but they'd broken the entire community around him. And side note, I wonder how many Australian prisons are populated by possessed people. Out of sight, out of mind. Am I right? Yeah. Can I make this statement? Faithfully and fearfully, but that we're going to have to do something about. Do you believe God can empty prisons? God can empty prisons. You can't say that and not do something about that. I, I want to see an anointing, a calling, rising up in this place to do something about that. Who amongst us is going to go? The undesirable lifestyle of this man is juxtaposed, juxtaposed in stark contrast by what some might consider as a desirable strength. I can't help but send my mind to things like martial arts here, you know. There's all of these people who want to be so strong and so dangerous. This might appeal to them, you know, like, okay, so I'm a dangerous person, you know. I can, um, can beat everyone. 
Isn't that, some, some people, that's their life goal. You know, I'm so dangerous, like I can push anyone away. No one can touch me. I'm protected. Half the time, those same people with that mentality get tattooed across themselves, death, skeletons. So what we see here is an undesirable lifestyle, or what we see as an undesirable lifestyle, juxtaposed by this desirable strength. Now, as I was thinking about this, I made it personal for me. You know, as a child, I'd read, I'd see a movie or I'd read a book and, you know, I'd kind of wish that I was magical. (laughs) You know, I might even get away from the movie and, you know, use the force. You know, like try and do something. Anybody wish for magic as a kid? Wish you could fly, wish you could do something. These are kind of primal desires. Okay, but maybe maybe you're, okay, maybe the people that didn't raise their hands, maybe that's not you, but there is a multi-billion dollar superhero movie industry that begs to differ with you. People love this idea of being powerful. In fact, Satan's tempting of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was a promise to be like God, like God, linked with power, to be powerful. It's not worth it. Mark 5.5, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, this man would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. I just, there's something so despair-filled in that, isn't there? He's in pain. This is the truth of Satan's promise. Disease, death, depravity. It's not worth it. It's actually really hard because, you know, I have these conversations to my kids where they're like, oh, you know, Enoch once jumped, climbed up onto the roof of my car and jumped off the roof of my car because he 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 said that he thought he could fly. Like all of the shows that he watched, you know, like this childhood desire for these things. But we need to, within ourselves, we need to also settle and we need to say, you know, whatever God's will is, whatever is required for the gospel, that's the power we need, right? That's the power we need. You know, I'm almost certain, I love this story, I'm almost certain that. when Jesus was resurrected and he came to Peter on the shoreline, Peter, who had walked on water, runs out to meet Jesus. I'm sure that he was trying to walk on water <laughs> again, but he swims back. <laughs> you know, sometimes we, sometimes we walk on water and sometimes we swim in the water. That's okay. You know, that's all right. I want you to, I won't go on about that, but I want you to think about that. Your relationship to desire for power. I want you to think, dwell on that in your own time. Mark 5, 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, back to our story, back to this demon-possessed man. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran. This is going to be hard to do, but I want to, I want to do it. There's no space for this. He ran, and then he knelt, and then he screams. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, in God's name, don't torture me. To feel the effect of it, right? For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure impure spirit. No sooner Jesus set foot upon the shore than this man ran, ran. Heard this sermon preached before, never remember this detail. This man ran, it rhymes, so you'll remember it. This man ran at Jesus. I believe it was likely with a murderous intention. We'll come back to that maybe. 
But this, this man, this demon-possessed man, his assault was arrested when Jesus had said to this man, said to the demon, come out of this man. All Jesus needed to say. And the assault was arrested, was stopped in its tracks. Certainly the yelling that precedes that speaks to the frustration of an enemy forced into a posture of submission. This man, this attack from Satan, this orchestrated attack had failed. In fact, had ended in a most embarrassing position for Satan. He had ran at Jesus and ended up on his knees. And I believe that the yelling was an expression of the frustration of this demon that knows it is lost, that is forced into submission. The demon, having never met Jesus, nevertheless immediately identifies him. Jesus, son of the most high God, it knows him. Knows him. Knows him better than maybe his disciples know him. Jesus had to work really hard to get them to identify him as the son of God. Here, this demon knows it. He has full knowledge of who he is and what he's doing there. In one breath, the demon acknowledges Jesus. In the next, it accuses Jesus of being a torturer. Whoa. Right? Did you see that? Jesus, son of the most high God, in God's name, don't torture me. Don't you love that when Satan tries to evoke God's name? As though Satan has any authority to God's name? Quoting God to himself, in God's name, don't torture me. Demons love to accuse believers of their own sins. I think, you know, it's worth asking yourself sometimes whether you're doing that. If you find yourself accusing people of stuff, it's worth being like, oh, I better be careful because that's, that's actually a demonic atmosphere. Satan is the accuser. If you find yourself accusing, you're creating an atmosphere that's quite easily for a demon to enter into that atmosphere. <laughs> accusing someone, and the Bible says, take the log out of your own eye first, you know. Make it, bring it back to yourself. Matthew 8 has a slightly alternative translation to this story. It says, Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? See, the demons know where human history is going. They are immortal beings. They can remember being cast out of heaven and that they know that on judgment day they will also be cast out of earth. Cast out entirely. But in the interim, they feel a real sense of ownership of earth and of you. They are indignant at being interrupted. They challenge God's authority to move. Remember the book of Daniel, the angel was held up in spiritual warfare with a demon. Held up from doing God's work. Unbelievers laugh about hell as though it's a big party. You'll do well to remember that not even demons want to go to hell. Matthew 12, 43, you can look it up on your own time if you've got a pen suggests that the demon experiences life like a desert and it desires to rest in a person. For a demon, it is torture to be cast out of a person. It feels like torture. They will squirm and squirm in their effort to keep their claim. Can you feel it? Can you feel the squirminess in this? In God's name, don't torture me. It gets squirmier as we go. Some of versions of this, uh, some translations of this verse, Mark 5, 8, say that Jesus repeatedly commanded to the man, repeatedly commanded to the demon to get out of the man. While I was reading about deliverance ministry, some people were saying that, you know, Jesus immediately cast out the demon every time. In this instance, it's not so much the case because it implies that he was repeatedly telling the, de- the demon, get out of that man, repeatedly. 
In reality, the demon should have left the man the moment that Jesus issued the command. But in keeping with their master Satan's disobedience, they follow in that suit. They're being disobedient. This, this, this demon is disobeying God blatantly. We'll go in it more. Demons don't mind being around Christians, but they do it strategically to mock and pull down and to frustrate the gospel. I've heard people say that demons can't walk in the door of a church and stuff like that before. (laughs) Demons love to mock and pull down. They love to frustrate the gospel. No better place to frustrate the gospel than in a church. Jesus does not flee the resistance of the enemy, nor does he argue about his holiness with this demon. He stands firm in his authority. Mark 5, 9, then Jesus asked him, wait, I missed something there that I wanted to highlight, sorry. Can we get Mark 5, 6 back? So the order of this is, for Jesus had said to him, so although it reads top down, the order of this is actually that, that bottom part is at the top. He'd re- the demon had said, what do you want with me? Because Jesus had said to that demon, come out of this man. You understand that? Which well, The reason I'm highlighting of that is how warped a demon is and how confused. And <laughs> Jesus says to the demon, come out of that man. The demon replies, what do you want with me? I told you what I want from you, demon. I want you to come out of the man. This is, Satan's always questioning God. He's always questioning the work of the gospel. What do you want from me? That's so rude. Jesus told him what he wants. The devil is trying to resist the work that Jesus is doing. See that? All right, now Mark 5, 9. So Jesus asks him, he says, what is your name? To which the demon replies, my name is Legion, for we are many. So this whole scene is Satan's big resistance. It's his big move. You know, calling yourself a name like Legion. Legion is a Roman army, right? 6,000 men. The demon is identifying that it came here with a militant purpose. It is a militant group of demons designed to try and fight Jesus. It's a legion. An entire army of demons crammed into a single little man. And let's have a laugh about it. I got like a clown car. (laughs) I thought this man couldn't sneeze without something coming out, some sort of exorcism. Demons are just like sin, same movement. They like to hide. It was painful, you know. I don't know if you've seen deliverance videos, but they very often they ask, they say, um, they say, who are you? What is your name? Sometimes they ask that. For a demon that loves to hide, for a sin that loves to hide, nothing is more humbling than having to acknowledge that you're there. That the sin is there, exposed, right? I don't know if you've ever felt like that. If you've been exposed in your sin, it is so uncomfortable. (laughs) Demons don't like it either. They hate it. So when he's like, what is your name? That hurts it. Nevertheless, just as they were compelled to kneel before their creator, so too they're compelled to give an answer. Again, they resist in their answer though. Legion isn't a name. It's a military grouping. The title Legion was intended as an intimidation strategy, but Jesus was not scared. This man could have had all of the spirits in heaven and earth, but as long as Jesus had the one spirit that matters, the Holy Spirit, he was untouchable and he had more than enough to get this job done. And as I was sitting there right before I got up, I thought to myself, felt the Holy Spirit say, wasn't just the Holy Spirit. 
Interesting thought, right? Just go with me. I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, you know, he had the support. Jesus had the support of the church there in that moment. He wasn't alone there. We were there with him in that moment. There's verses in the Bible that say we are in Jesus as Jesus is in the Father. When we stand against the enemy, we are one with Jesus. We are in support with Jesus. Isn't that cool? It's cool partnering with Jesus. The Holy Spirit is more than enough to deal with those clowns. Mark 5 to 10. And so the demon begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Do you think that if this man that had been tortured by this demon had begged this demon to stop, do you think that the demon would have stopped torturing him? Why does a demon expect, call upon the mercy of God not to torture him when he thinks he has the claim to torture this man? How warped, how depraved, how full of accusation, messed up. Demons will do anything not to be cast out. What's the name of the guy that does the deliverance ministry we've been watching? What's the one we've been watching? I'll get your name of someone later. It's really good though because you just see that you see that when the deliverance is happening, they distract. The demon will try and distract. They will try and intimidate. They will try and seduce. They will beg. They even play dead. Some people on the ministry line come up for deliverance and the demon just sends them crashing down. And the the guy that's delivering has to say, stand them back up. The work's not done. The demon's playing dead. It's hoping that they're going to forget and walk away, you know. That challenges me because sometimes I think, you know, I think just falling over on the ministry line, like as a pastor, sometimes you're like, it's in a Pentecostal church. It's like, oh, mission done, mission accomplished. No, stand them back up. Let's finish the work we started. There's more work sometimes to be done. I love it. Interesting as well is that here the demon exposes that the claim is not just on the man, but as, we, as I suggested at the start, that it's actually over the area. Because it says, and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. See that? Is he possessing the man or is he possessing the area? Both. Both. The community. The area. There's a lot of theology here. How am I going for time, though? Oh, we've got to get to the point where it comes out, don't we? All right, Mark 5.11. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us out amongst those pigs. Allow us to go into them. And so he gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and they went into the pigs and the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. What a nightmarish scene that would have been. The squealing pigs drowning themselves, thrashing in the water. Whether the pigs were an unwilling vessel or the potency of the demon's murderous intentions was simply too great, one now better appreciates just how deadly these things are and the fortitude of the man who was resisting them. This man had 6,000, 2,000. Once you get past 500, what does it matter, right? This man had a whole bunch of demons inside him. He was cutting himself. He was in living in a graveyard. And yet he was, he was staying alive, staying alive. The pigs couldn't bear it. They couldn't bear it for 10 seconds. The image of God in you is not easily snuffed. Fearfully and wonderfully are you made. There is hope in your bones, hope in your very identity, hope in your created being.
Jesus didn't care about the cost of those pigs to their owners. Unfortunately, this was another animal sacrifice, depending on how you feel about that. But God loved that man so much. He was willing to pay the price with those pigs. Notice, too, that the demon couldn't do nothing, that it had to seek authority. Finally, it recognizes Jesus' authority. Can I get permission, please, Master, to go into those pigs? You know, you hit rock bottom for the demons when they've got to ask permission to go into pig. Unclean, man. Unclean spirits, unclean meats. Yes, yeah, probably something in there, isn't there? Deviled bacon or something. So. <laughs> following the deliverance of the man in Mike 5 Mark 5, not Mike the community begs Jesus to leave do you know that after this story after this great thing after Jesus travelled, sailed over the whole ocean whole river just arrives on shore this man runs up He does his work and then he's asked to leave. So why did Jesus come? For that one reason. For that one man to do that work. Came for that sole purpose. And Jesus does the work and the community begs him to leave. Jesus casts out the demons and then the community casts out Jesus. However, Jesus left behind a legacy. He left behind a delivered man. <laughs> and arguably, I'd like to say Jesus actually, ne- Jesus didn't leave because the Spirit was, in, he left his Spirit in that man to carry on the legacy, to continue to do the work as you and I are called to continue to do this work. This work that I am describing here. Wouldn't it be great if each and every one of us could say that we had cast out the demonic? Wouldn't that be a great testimony for this church, for us as individuals? Shall we cultivate this gifting within this place? Shall we cultivate it? Shall we water this? Shall we grow this? I know the people, (laughs) there's some people who are really saying it and there's some people who, you know, find your voice. I would like this church to achieve what it was called to do. Achieve why we were put here. And I believe this is part of it. We've got to cultivate this. We've got to continue to talk about this. Train in this. For all the heroes of the Old Testament, not one of them cast out a single demon. David's worship is the closest comparison, but even the effect of that was temporary. Imagine the shock of the 12 disciples to discover they had the same authority in Jesus. Huh. They were shocked, I can tell you. You can look, you can read it. They discovered that when Jesus sent them out in Luke 10. Jesus is eager for, for his believers to cast out demons, Mark 9, 39. Casting out demons won't save your soul, but it will clear a good path for the gospel. However, in accordance with Acts 19.15, I'll also say to be warned that demons will know if your faith is genuine or not. And if you're going to go into the front line where men will run at you, <laughs> likely, if you're going to go to the front line, you need to be disciplined in your faith, disciplined in your prayer, disciplined in your f- fasting, All of these things are things we need to be cultivating in this place. Spiritual discipline so that we're ready. You know, more than ready. More than ready. Seeking out. Jesus crossed a sea to do this work. More than ready. Hearing a story about a man and traveling there with the express purpose. Pushing through the storm. You're driving to the place. Your car breaks down. You're driving to the place. Something else goes wrong, but God is going to make a way to do this work. Your faith is going to rise, is going to push through. 
You don't need to hide from Satan. Satan's the hider. You don't need to run. You can go directly to do the work. To do the work. This is the work to free MacArthur, to free this region, pushing out these spirits. I said another sermon, and it stuck with me, that we're not just here to service need, we're here to delete need, to eliminate need. The homeless man with a spirit of poverty will come and collect his check will come and collect his meal his entire life unless someone stands up and does the work of Jesus and actually says, you know what, let's get that thing off you so that you can get on with real life, real living. We can feed people forever. I feel like sometimes Christians are feeders. Feeding need. We're conquerors. We're victors. We eliminate need. Eliminate. Do you believe this thing? I don't want to be a feeder. Right? We've got to be warriors. Jesus says, do not rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice your names are in heaven. The believer should desire power to promote the gospel only. When Jesus sends out, commissions and sends out his disciples in Luke 12, he doesn't, Luke 10, he doesn't even tell them they can cast out demons. That was a pleasant surprise. But he's not joking when he says all authority. I'm sure that Jesus was also shocked and happy. Oh, you tried that, did you? You actually tried to follow me. For him that was so often frustrated at the fumbling attempts of the disciples to actually be disciples, to actually follow, to actually do as he did, must have been a pleasant surprise for Jesus. Oh, you've been casting out demons. Fantastic. Gold star. But for all of this, when we're in heaven, for all of this, the joy is just souls saved for Jesus, you know, just living in it. We've got to talk about this stuff. We have to do this stuff. But the true joy of what we do and the true commission is to live a heavenly as heavenly citizens. It's all God ever wanted for us. But Revelations chapter 2, we're not to tolerate the demonic. No way. No way. We don't have to tolerate the demonic. Now, I'm of two. I've on two minds on how to end this service. I don't know if we're ready for it yet. Keep going. Oh gosh. Look, it takes time. I loved in one of the videos that we watched. I loved how one of the people said they'd been fasting before coming. They'd come in, they knew that some, there was oppression in their life that wasn't budging, and so they fasted before they came. Now, this, this is just kind of hitting you left of field. You know, I didn't even tell you this sermon was coming last week, you know. But as we're cultivating this, we actually need to be so hungry. We need to be fasting for this thing. I want you just, if, you can, if we can end with this, right, I want you this week consider your own life and to consider the things that aren't budging. That's what I want you to do. Seek the Holy Spirit about it. Ask the Holy Spirit, what's in my life that's not budging? What do I keep praying for that's not moving? I've got things. I'll tell you, I've got things. I've got stuff. We've all got it. That's right. That's what I'm really trying to say. Can we shift it together? Can we pray for this stuff together? Can we do this? God, do it as a team. It's a team. All right.
I'll get you to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for you and then I'm just going to leave you with that. But this isn't done. Just lift your hands where you are. Wherever you are, lift up your hands. Jesus, we thank you that you are the God that heals us, Father, that knows us, Lord, that travels, Father, for the express purpose of saving, healing just us. Lord, we know you're not scared by the worst parts of us, Father, or even the things that we've let come in, Lord. We know you're not scared, God. Lord, teach us, Father, to see ourselves through your eyes, Father. Teach us, Lord, not to be proud in our faith, Father, but to come to you humbly, Father, and to get things out of our life, Father. To not tolerate, to not tolerate sickness, to not tolerate financial oppression, to not not tolerate relational and family oppression, to not tolerate bad dreams, depression, addiction, Lord, we believe your word, Father. We believe the gospel, Father. We're ready to live it, Lord. We know there are angels out there and we know there are demons, Lord. But we're not scared, Father, because we've got your spirit, Lord. Got your spirit, God. Lord, I I pray an impartation, Lord, upon this whole church, Father. I pray, Lord, that This will be a place where people can be freed from demonic oppression. Where MacArthur can be freed. Western Sydney freed. Sydney freed. Australia freed from these oppressions, Lord. We want to be free. Lord Jesus. Just imagine, I want you where you are. Just imagine that man, free. (laughs) There'd be so much room inside him. He can breathe again. He's himself again. We love you, Jesus. Let's praise Him. But like I said, work's not done. I gave you homework. (laughs) Thanks, Joe.